Hello. At the time of recording, we're only a couple of weeks away from the first ever Chosen Brew Beer Podcast live episode to celebrate the third birthday of the podcast. It's on November the 7th. The initial allocation sold out. Um, We have a few extra tickets being added on um, very kindly. Uh, The wonderful people at Burnley Brewing have allowed us a couple of extra tickets. So if you'd like to snap them up, please click on the link in the show notes as soon as you can because they're not going to be around for long. Hopefully I'll see you there with Mr. Crafty Pint himself, James Smith, talking through his beer journey and the six beers that changed everything. Cue the music. Here's the episode proper. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, we go from New Orleans to New Zealand to Australia, all over the place with a very accomplished certified Cicerone, Lindsay Greig, who is currently working at Molly Rose. I did interview the creator, founder of Molly Rose a few episodes ago, so you can listen to that episode with Nick Sandery. That'll give you full context for where Lindsay's up to right now. But this is so much fun. Uh, lots of talk, particularly about snacks. So if you like food that's being tampered with, this is the episode for you. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer <laughs> Podcast. Uh, this is uh, the podcast where the guests talk their way through the six snacks that changed everything. <laughs> With me is <laughs> Lindsay Greig, um, who is currently working at Molly Rose. Um, yeah. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for so, having me. <laughs> so uh, it is the six beers that changed everything, but we were just talking just before we started um, that you probably love snacks I more love than snacks. beer. So. <laughs> We, we might have to throw the format out the window and become the chosen snack um, podcast. podcast. Uh, sounds fascinating to me. So snack one. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so you're currently working at Molly Rose. Yep. Um, you know, listeners to the show would have listened to the one with Nick Sandry, um, head honcho, your boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is he, my is boss, he, Nick, not he, my partner, yeah, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is he? He's. I believe he's very difficult to work for. Is that true? It, I don't. Is he? <laughs> Who have you heard that from? No, he's lovely. Yeah, yeah he is very lovely. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to cause controversy in the podcast world here. Um, probably the wrong person. Everyone loves Nick. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so take us back to your. Without giving any of your beers away. Yeah. You're growing up in the US. Yep. Tell us exactly where you grew up and what the beer scene was like then. Um, I grew up in southern Missouri. So if anyone's seen the show Ozarks on Netflix, that's kind of, that gives you a really good reference of where I'm from. Is that a documentary, (laughs) Ozark? No, no, it's a TV show. (laughs) No, I've watched it, but I just wasn't sure whether it was. (laughs) It could be, it could be. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually grew up a little bit south of where that show takes place. Um, So southern Missouri. Yeah, grew up there, lived in Kansas City for a minute. Uh, lived in Houston, Texas, and then moved to New Orleans for film. I was an actor. I was a theater major in college. Um, when I moved to New Orleans, I was managing a craft beer bar and working for... Um, yeah, I was managing a craft beer bar and just, like, working for tips because that's what you do as an actor. Like, all actors are actors slash bartenders in the States. That's what you are. And am, am, I, am I looking at broken dreams here, Lindsay? No. <laughs> no, so I... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Acting's still my fallback plan. Um, you, did, you did say that you, you were an actor. Yeah, I was a, an As actor. though that was in the past, yeah. that you've drawn a line under it. But is there still something... Still bubbling under. Sure, yes. I mean, hospitality is an act, isn't it? It is. Every day, life. Life is really... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hospitality. No, definitely hospitality is is acting. You know, you have to be interested in what people are saying. Yeah, so (laughs) it, it seems like a very common thing for particularly... Um, 
you know, in the US, acting is clearly a hard profession. Yeah. To, it's very competitive. Uh, you'd have to toil for a long time before you got any recognition. And even then, it's still difficult. And it's kind of a hand-to-mouth existence. Yeah. So you decided to work <laughs> for tips because it's security. security. It's got a good, good superannuation. You know, um, you know, great conditions, holiday pay, you know, uh, dental care. It, but they, those two kind of go hand in hand because you need the kind of casual nature of you hospitality the, to be exactly. able to go to auditions yep. and do everything else yep. um, at short notice. So it can work both ways. But And it did. It, it, it was working out. Um, the benefit of it was the flexible schedule. And if you need more money, you pick up more shifts. If you don't need more money, you don't pick up more shifts. You work certain days and nights because you know those shifts are busier to make more money. But I had always worked in craft beer bars leading up to that point in time. Like, that's just what I gravitated towards was beer, just not even thinking about it. Um, and why, when you look back now, like, you you might not have been conscious of it at the time, but when you look back now, what, what do you think were the elements that actually drew you to working in particularly craft beer bars? Why beer? Yeah, I don't, I think it was, it was fun with the interactions. Like when, when people were looking at like 2009 was probably my first like big craft beer bar job leading up into 2013. um, I was managing a Louisiana focused craft beer bar in the French Quarter in New Orleans. We had like 40, 50 Louisiana craft beers on tap. At that time, there were only like 13 Louisiana craft breweries. But what I found so fascinating was that tourists would come through and they'd want to drink local beer. And I loved talking about it. Like it was just something different. You could get hyper localized with it. You found passion with the people who were making the beer and selling the beer. And the interactions with beer reps were always super fun. Um, I just, I, yeah, I guess I've kind of fell into the culture of it like I really loved the culture of the craft beer scene and this idea that traveling around the U.S. or around the world even no matter where you go there's going to be a beer there that you can't get anywhere else like you can get a Manhattan anywhere like a cocktail you can get a lot of wines anywhere but like to be super hyper like focused on local like that's really where craft beer comes into play so probably that and so Obviously, lots of bars, particularly in New Orleans, will sell, um, you know, be passionate about their product, but be selling kind of mainstream beers. I mean, what what is it that actually separates a craft beer bar, you know, out from a, a passionate mainstream beer bar? Um, local. Like, just, it, it really is the focus on local. And people coming, like, tourists coming to New Orleans, and even people in New Orleans, New Orleans citizens are fiercely supportive of their city so if there's a brewery opening up in their city they're going to go support it um and because of louisiana legislation it was really hard for a long time for craft breweries to actually open up and operate like you had the big player which was a beta but it was really hard for some of the smaller ones to get going um i mean when i was living in new orleans there was a beta nola and then courtyard brewery opened and that was three in this crazy city that always has people drinking like (laughs) that city is founded on functioning alcoholism it really is um but for it to only have three breweries at the time but people were going to those and now it's blown up i don't even know how many are there right now but i suppose that america had a real stunted growth because Mm. of prohibition and so on and even uh, homebrew wasn't was it was illegal until i think was it jimmy carter made it legal yeah it was the 70s yeah Late 70s is when homebrewing, I think, finally became... I feel like it was 78. Yeah. I also feel like I should know the answer to this question, and I don't. <laughs> it might have been... It might have been, like, 82. Somewhere in that ballpark. Look, I'm sure a lot of people who make homebrew can't remember <laughs> the exact date it was allowed. Um, but I suppose that you have this... Uh, you know, it's a stunted growth in one respect, but also... It's like uh, a cork on a bottle. It's you know there was all that pent up kind of creativity and and yeah. demand and want to be able to make your own beer. Yeah. And I presume that you know that's where the passion in the U.S. Uh, you know really it, it, in some ways it possibly accelerated what has happened since that moment. So 
after you'd um, worked in the US and worked in hospitality and realized your dreams in acting were dead, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're still alive. Keep your dream alive. Um, Fallback plan. Fallback plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, why did you then look beyond the US? Because for a lot of people, uh, you know, listening in Australia, maybe even listening in the US, they would think, well, you are working in the Garden of Eden. You yeah. are working where the epicenter of craft beer, you know, in terms of uh, the the demand, in terms of sales figures, in terms of raw materials, mm. creativity, experience, skill. It's the USA. Yeah. And you left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I was... I ended up working at a really small brewery in New Orleans. Um, it was three barrels, which is pretty tiny. I think it ends up being like 350 liters or like 400 liters. It's a small, small brewery. And that was the kind of brewery where everybody was an assistant brewer. Everybody was a bartender. Everybody did everything. It was six people on staff and we did all of it. So like within my first week, I was dropping a bag of hops into um into the kettle like the entire physical bag because I had no idea what I was doing um so I was <laughs> I just threw the bag in um so yeah I uh I was working there and it was Mardi Gras and there's a really famous beer bar in New Orleans called Avenue Pub it's one of the best craft beer bars in the United States and it's 24 hours so no matter what time of night you get off or what time of morning or if you want to keep partying, you can go to Avenue Pub um, and have amazing beers. And I was there talking to one of the bartenders and he was like, oh, yeah, after Mardi Gras, I'm going to manage a craft beer bar in New Zealand. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. He's like, you can. I was like, oh, uh, no, like just kind of a passing thought. So he left, went to New Zealand um, he messaged me like a month later and was like, Hey, my boss from New Zealand is in New Orleans. You should meet up with him and have a chat. And I'd had a few beers and I was like, ah, fuck it. Why not? Sure. Um, so I, I back at Avenue pub, I was, think I was drinking like 8% pints of, um, ghost in the machine, which is a very delicious Louisiana beer. Um, and talking to this Kiwi about his craft beer bar in New Zealand. And he was like, if you want to come work, you can come work for the summer. Like, I could really use your help and your expertise and da-da-da-da-da. Um, and I had had just enough beers that I just booked a one-way flight that night. Um, wow. <laughs> so, well, and I booked it for, like, five months down the road. So that was, like, May. And then I moved to New Zealand in October. Um, but I was... He kind of tricked me because I was like, oh, it's a beach town in New Zealand. Like, told everybody, oh, I'm going to this beach town in New Zealand just to manage a craft beer bar for their summer. It's going to be winter here. And then one of my friends was like, yeah, but you realize how close New Zealand is to Antarctica. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I finally looked at it on a map and realized that New Zealand is not north of Australia. It is <laughs> south of Australia. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> very nice beaches in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very nice because nobody's on them. <laughs> No, it was the <laughs> north part of the North Island, so it wasn't. It wasn't as um, it was cold coming from New Orleans, but it wasn't horrible for the summer. Then what happens? Trump I got mean... elected. <laughs> <laughs> and four months turned into three years. <laughs> well, America's lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the brewery in New Zealand said, you know, they could really use your skills and experience. What were your skills and expertise at that time? Yeah. Um, so it was a craft beer bar, not a brewery. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of free houses in New Zealand. So Evan King has the Lumsden Free House. It's in Auckland. And then he also has one in Malgafai Heads called Wood Street Free House. Um, and that's the one that he wanted help with for the sun. So it goes from like 2,500 people to like... 25,000 people just for the summer. There's a big music festival up there. So he likes Evan had actually worked in the States a lot. He was a bartender in New York. He had worked in Canada for a while and he was used to like high volume bartending and managing really high volume venues and he couldn't really find a lot of people that had that 
kind of experience and then to add on a very strong knowledge of craft beer and like draft system maintenance and all of that stuff so I guess that was like I had worked high volume bars in New Orleans um it's a pretty it's a pretty good bartender <laughs> it was a gun well it, it, it is <laughs> Like it is significant, isn't it? The difference between someone who's got the goods uh, behind a bar, um, particularly in a high demand, high volume venue, and particularly in the US as well, where you know customer service is is Everything. you know particularly when you're working maybe just for tips as yeah. well. It's a it's a different ball game. Um, my friend who's he's from Australia, but he uh, lives in New York. When he visits, comes back to Melbourne, he can't believe how poor the service is yeah. now coming from britain i think the service here is <laughs> it's brilliant amazing. yeah that's what and i've heard he he gets he gets in if he has to wait 15 seconds at the bar before someone says hello to him he is yeah. livid now he's yeah. so impatient he's yeah. uh becoming a you know a stereotypical new yorker but it it is a different ball game isn't mm-hmm. it and particularly um it's i think it's a very underrated um, aspect of hospitality um, yeah. and how how did it actually play out when you got to New Zealand was it what you expected was it uh, was it or was it um, how similar to New Orleans <laughs> was this beach town uh, in New Zealand yeah was so it, it was just like home from home um it was I I traveled New Zealand for eight weeks before I started work because I'd never taken that much time off of work in my life and I had saved up a lot of money and so I spent eight weeks traveling and seeing the entire country before I ended up in Mongify and I remember one of the first nights that I was quite drunk and I was at home and I had been like just drinking I think bottles of wine because New Zealand wine's so cheap (laughs) it's so much cheaper to drink wine in New Zealand than beer Um, so I, it was like 9 p.m. and I needed a snack because I love snacks. Um, and so I walked down into town, which was just this like one strip and uh, nothing was open. There, no, the Foursquare, clo- which is where everyone gets their snacks, the snack store. It closed at like 6 p.m. I think, 6 or 7 p.m. Um, there was no food options. There's no Uber Eats. There's no one out. It's so quiet at night. Like there's just... It was it was a shock going from New Orleans to that. And luckily one of my flatmates was a woman from New Orleans as well. So like her and I could just get rowdy together and <laughs> have parades on the streets by ourselves <laughs> and <laughs> we made quite names for ourselves. Um but yeah, it was a, it was a complete it was a shock. it was so different. But I loved it. I ended up loving it. It was just you know, you come from a 24-hour city that's like very like seven nights a week you can find live music any time of day you can find live music and food and just that party lifestyle and then to go from that to quiet quiet kiwi batch town it was um it was different <laughs> it's really different i feel like we could keep talking <laughs> about about this but um yeah we, let's We'll we will carry on talking, but I feel that we do need to get the beers, and yes. more importantly, each snack. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's up to you, Lindsay, whether you want to ch- start with the <laughs> snack or the beer. Uh, however, it best leads in, but choice one. Choice one, and this would be like the first ranking choice, like hands down, number one, right? It's up to you how you can oh, okay. do it chronologically if you want, or you can do it in in rank order. You I can, like competition. You know, yeah, there's always yeah. competition it's, between beers. It's it's, it's your wrong. podcast. You can, okay. do, you can do what you want. <laughs> Chosen snack podcast. Um, so my first beer is Boulevard Wheat. The snack that goes with it is ballpark nachos with pump cheese. Um. <laughs> You're getting a blank face from this side of the table because I, I, I'm not aware of either. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, Join the dots. Tell yeah. us. Uh, tell us what the first. Firstly, about the beer and beer. why. Why this is special to you and yeah. why it switched the light on. Yeah. So Boulevard Wheat is probably my holy grail of beers. Um, it is Boulevard is a Kansas City, Missouri brewery. Um, quite big now. Now they've been bought out by Duvel, which has Omgong and Firestone Walker. Um, but Boulevard is so Missouri, where I grew up. Budweiser is from Missouri. Um, but then we also have Boulevard and just everywhere you go in Missouri, you can find Boulevard wheat on tap. It's an American wheat ale. 
It's unfiltered. Um, so unlike German wheats, it's made with a neutral yeast strain. So the hops and the characteristics of the beer really shine through. It's a little bit chewy. It's very citrusy. It has some weird kind of like a like a hint of a floral note, but not really. It's super crushable, and it should always be served with a lemon. Controversial. It is controversial. I mean, there's been previous guests on the show who said if you have to add fruit. Okay. <laughs> it's a... I think it's a nostalgia thing. It doesn't, you don't have to add fruit to the beer. The beer can stand on its own. It's not Corona that needs a lime, you know? Like, it's not that. But it is so nice on a Missouri summer day to have a pint of Boulevard wheat that you probably got for $3 during happy hour and a lemon slice in it. There's nothing more refreshing than that beer. And, and I just like, I mean, Miller High Life was the first beer I ever drank when I was 14. Um, but Boulevard wheat was the first beer I consciously made a decision to drink, not just what someone could buy for me. I'm just working out the maths on that as it's 21 you have to be to drink in America. Yeah, is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, is that why you left? <laughs> no. Yeah, so Boulevard Wheat and then Ballpark Nachos. And um, what's Ballpark Nachos? So Ballpark Nachos are round, very salty chip tortilla chips. Um, chip tortilla chips, tortilla chips. And pump cheese. Cheese that comes from a pump. <laughs> Nacho cheese. That sounds <laughs> horrific. With some pickled <laughs> jalapenos. Very, it sounds very disgusting, but very American. It's so, so American. Yeah, wonderful. Like, Kansas City Royals, you go to a baseball game, you get your Boulevard wheat, you get your nacho pump cheese nachos, and it's there's nothing better. There's literally nothing better. <laughs> I can't wait. Except for choice two. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so choice number two, I'm just getting my fairly boring choices out of the way, I think, um, is Guinness. How, like, so <laughs> I'm surprised Guinness doesn't show up more often yeah. on this podcast because it's, and, and what I'm interested in here is what format of Guinness, because there's quite a few, whether mm. it's in a bottle, whether it's out of the can draft, whether it's, um, extra foreign strength. Out off the tap. Just standard Guinness on draft. Um, and that's because one of the first craft beer venues I worked at um, was this place called Kansas City Public House, and it was kind of like an Irish-themed bar. Um, but we had like 32 taps, something ridiculous like that, and most of them were local craft, or they were like big UK breweries, so like Bass. I think we had Boddington's on tap. Um, but Guinness, <laughs> so I, I turned 21 when I, when I was working there and that's when you started drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I remember like during work, everybody there would always drink Guinness. Everybody like we properly poured Guinness and it was a very big thing in Kansas city at that time to properly pour a Guinness. And I knew customers had real opinions about that. Like, ah, oh, they don't pour their Guinness, right? Like any of them had ever been to Ireland. Um, <laughs> but there was very strong opinions about Guinness and how to properly pour it. And I hated Guinness when I first had it, but because I wanted to be cool and fit in, I forced myself to drink it. And I do think that me, I actually came to enjoy it, but I think that's a big reason why my palate developed is from just trying to be cool and drink Guinness like everybody else was. That's really interesting that that was the kind of go-to drink of choice, but I think it, it's really easy to drink. Mm. Like once you get over that initial, if you've got an aversity to that bittersweet flavor. Yeah. And it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. It's like if you hold it up to the light, it's not black, it's ruby. Yeah. And it, the, the theatre of serving it as well is really special. And yeah. the, it's it's a really comforting drink. And those other beers that you mentioned, like your Bass or your Tetley's or Boddington's, they're all on nitro. They have the same kind of theatre as well, but they're not the same colour, so the they same. don't have the mystique yeah. Guinness has. But, you you know, I just think it's such a, a really nice 
kind of theatrical addition to a, an otherwise bought what could be a boring mainstream bar yeah. when they've got Guinness on and it's probably the only tap that if you're not very well trained you'll be trained on that Guinness tap yep. and there's something in that <laughs> it's really important and I thinking about this and thinking about Guinness like that's when I first realized that there was an art to pouring beer I mean that's when people care about how their beer is poured. I mean, people should always care about how their beer is poured. It's a very important thing. Um, but really people get into Guinness and how much head is there and did they let it set long enough? And like, can you put a design in the top? I loved pouring Guinness and putting little designs in. I was so proud when I got the four leaf clover. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I am the best beer bartender in the world. Um, and, and even the glassware as well, you know, the Guinness always had generally had special glassware. And I think Guinness, um, you know, or Diageo, the central guys, they used to apparently send out, um, you know, mystery customers to, and they would give like bartenders a uh, hundred dollars in cash if yep. they, if they poured the perfect pint. Yeah. And so there was this real push, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely something in that, uh, whether I don't, I think it's more than a gimmick, but there's something in that for maybe people, which I'm not sure the craft scene has got onto so much, mm. but that's a definite marketing selling point above everything else and yeah what you do notice about people who drink guinness is then they're, they're very loyal to guinness to guinness <laughs> it's really Fierce strange loyalty. yeah it's yeah. Uh, they're almost very protective i know my father's one um but um yeah so you're in new zealand yeah you're, you're loving life you've, yeah. you've kind of setting up your own two-woman mardi gras <laughs> yeah. and having a fine time um the beer scene in new zealand it was definitely more developed and is more developed than australia in many respects and particularly in uh the traditional styles of beer as mm. well uh and so and raw materials as well climate is perfect for um beer making so what was your kind of experience when you went from the US to New Zealand, despite it being two different speeds <laughs> about um, way of life yeah. and uh, attitude to having a good time? Uh, what was the difference in beer? Oh, um, well, I found it interesting because in the States we have three-tier distribution. So what, what does that mean? So like a brewery can't get a contract on a tap in a bar a brewery can't go to a bar and be like we want to have three out of your tin taps and those are always going to be our beers like that's not that's not legal in wow. the u.s um so it was weird going to new zealand and i i quickly realized when i was traveling that i was seeing a lot of the same beers everywhere no matter what part of the country i was in and then i i realized that it was because only certain bars were free houses and had the right to sell whatever they want they didn't only certain bars didn't have contracts. Um, so that was really interesting. I think coming from the States where our, you know, our major beers are quite thin and watery and Budweiser and Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light, like those are our draft beers, if you will. Um, whereas in New Zealand, like Lion Red, um, Spates, both of those are quite malt driven. And for me, I found them quite sweet. Um, and I, w I was really surprised by that. And I do see that reflected, or at least at the time I saw that reflected in a lot of the IPAs. Whereas in the States, our IPAs are, well, a lot of them you have those West Coast IPAs with really, really light malt bills, super hot focused. I found more balance in New Zealand, um, a little more malt driven and maybe leaning a little more towards like an English kind of influence. Um, but yeah, the, the beer scene there I, I love it. It's great. Small country, really strong beer scene, even though it's so fiercely competitive because they only have such a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of the market. Um, I think they're all really supportive of each other and they're really welcoming. Like I came in and I wasn't, I didn't have my Cicerone certification yet and people just kind of knew I was studying for it and just took me on board and were willing to like show me around their breweries and talk to me and like have conversations and, um, it was really easy to get to know brewers from all over the country, which was amazing. And I, I still consider a lot of those connections I made, like, they're just some of my favorite people. Um, yeah. 
And it is fascinating that the you know given the population size and still a, a decent geographical landmass to yeah. uh, to that the scene is so um, strong and well developed, but still the big guys still dominate. And and I suppose it's um, it's kind of interesting that the New Zealand beers are in such demand here in Australia. Yeah, and like I I went to the bottle shop one time and I got home and I was like. All the beers I've bought are all from New Zealand, from and New it did Zealand. it completely unconsciously. Mm. Um, but it shows the the level of um, kind of kudos or um, you know admiration that they get in yeah. Australia for for the quality of the beer and the inventiveness as well. Yeah, they're doing some really good stuff. I mean, where I lived, so I lived an hour and a half north of Auckland was Mongafai Heads. So twenty minutes through the ranges is McLeod's, which I'm. I'm a Clouds fangirl. I won't even deny it. Um, Jason Bathgate is an American, but he's their head brewer. And they're just like in this tiny little Scottish town. And they're a Scottish-themed brewery. And the guys that own it are just amazing. They're just really in it to make really great beer. Um, But then down the road from there, um, you have Eight Wired. And then you also have sawmill as well so it's just like within a very small radius you have three really great breweries i mean especially eight wired um doing some really cool stuff with barrels and just inventive things um and garage project has definitely paved the way in a lot of ways but craft work as well they're just like brewing out of their house and doing amazing stuff there's there's it's, it's amazing isn't it you yeah. can keep just saying just, names and it, so it just, good. The, it's the roll call is yeah. uh and and clearly the skill level as well is uh extraordinary there as well so and i've never been to new zealand oh. so look I'm, I'm definitely going to try to use this yeah. podcast as leverage to uh <laughs> to, to visit and um and and experience some of the fantastic things going on yeah. um Let's go to choice three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So choice three is pernicious weed from Garage Project. I had had probably an old oxidized version of this, well, of it while I was living in the States. And that was kind of like I wanted when I got a job offer in New Zealand, I really only know I knew that there were Nelson hops. (laughs) That's kind of that. And I only knew that because I had had pernicious weed. Um, And and a large foundation of that beer is Nelson. and it was just so good. I was like, what is this? The labeling was good. The can was good. The name was good. I was like, Kiwi beer is going to be amazing. I want to go to New Zealand. So literally like my first day when I arrived in Auckland, which was actually three years ago from today, um, I had a pernicious weed and it was just the best moment. Um, it was such a good, good moment. It's like, it's balanced. It's malty. It's like 8%, I think. Um, it's got a really unique characteristic. It really I think unique it's just, yeah. fruit tropical fruit notes that you at the time we weren't getting a lot of in american ipas especially not like anything that was eight percent it was just like so balanced and drinkable and with that supporting malt character in it oh, mm. it's kind of it's a weird it's, right well, it's a, yeah it's a weird drink because it's kind of it's reassuring and disturbing in equal amounts yeah it's kind of it unsettles you a little because you're like i can't quite put my finger on yeah because it's so hard hitting but then you just you, it is very moorish i mean yeah um it's very orangey as well like i get a lot of, for me I'm, every time i have it i'm like i get more orange from it like it's like a like a candied almost candied orange coming through i don't know i remember <laughs> i sent my friend to the bar to order one uh for me and um he he called it a, he asked for a precocious weed which is <laughs> a different thing um so <laughs> thankfully that's a <laughs> thankfully we worked out uh, so, so that is a great choice um mm. and what a kind of a what has become almost a flagship new zealand beer as well yeah um, uh, and yeah again in a competitive new zealand market that's hard to do but that's a yeah. definite standout did you have snacks to go with that yeah, one? Yeah, and, yeah, sorry. And, with the last one and as Guinness, well. well, Guinness chips oh, Guinness, and gravy. Yeah. <laughs> well played. <laughs> like chips and gravy, hands down. <laughs> like that's the whole. I love gravy. Um, the whole gravy thing, like brown gravy with chips. Like in the states, we can get white gravy with chips, but not like white sausage gravy, but just like white gravy. Um, specifically from Dairy Queen. <laughs> is like that white kind of gravy. like a, yeah, like a creamy kind of thing? Yeah, is it? creamy gravy. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> is there nothing Delicious. you people won't do to food? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so for, yeah, so, but I love brown gravy. That's been a thing that I've started consuming a lot of since moving to New Zealand and Australia, especially Australia. Chips and gravy, man. Especially at the local tap house when they do, um, what is it? The Great British Spectacular and they change their menu. Oh, the gravy. Um, <laughs> malt vinegar as well, if you get malt vinegar in the mix. I do love malt mix, vinegar is, with chips. Yeah, very good. I've never had malt vinegar with chips and gravy, though. Yes. Do you do, do all do, three together? Yeah, just a bit okay. of uh, malt vinegar just to add a little bit of acidity there. Okay. And uh, you can find Bisto, which is a British brand of, no of gravy granules. Uh, and it's like beef, but it is actually vegetarian. But it's granules. So it's granules, yeah, and you mix it. And it's very <laughs> thick. I mean, you could you could actually drink it by the pint. You could have a pint of gravy with next to a Guinness. Uh, so that's my fourth beer. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just invented the gravy chaser. Mm, yes. A shot like of Like a pickleback, but yeah, yeah, gravy. exactly. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah, make you thirsty as well because it's salty. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, so pernicious weed. Yeah, what's a snack? To snack. Go uh, it would be a Hawaiian pizza, like a pineapple and ham pizza. Because such a thing in these parts. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the, you've dropped a couple of controversial uh, suggestions <laughs> with fruit in beer and fruit on pizza. I so uh, I, I was objected to it. I mean, I used to eat that as a kid and then as an adult, I became like, no, I will not. Um, but where I worked in New Zealand, uh, we sold a lot of pizza. And, you know, if there's free pizza floating around, you eat it. And I became quite partial to the Hawaiian pizza. There's a time and a place. Absolutely. Choice four. Choice four. <laughs> um, choice four is Duchess de Bignon. <laughs> Flanders red. Nice. Yeah. Snack? Snack with that is a little bit difficult. Um, but I think it would be a... Uh, like a sausage po' boy from New Orleans. Something fatty and greasy so that the beer can just kind of come in and scrub it up and cleanse the palate and layer it. Mm. So Flanders Red yeah. um, is kind of quite a popular style. And, and is, a yeah. lot of Australian breweries have uh, you know, had their own version of the Flanders Red. But yeah. I suspect that you know there is still a lot of people who've never had a Flanders Red or wouldn't... you know. I certainly think there's some Flanders Reds on the market that aren't marketed as Flanders Red. Yeah. So what what actually is it, and yeah. and what what sh- could you expect if you're drinking a Flanders Red? Yeah. So a Flanders Red um, is a traditional Belgian style. It's made with darker malts, hence the red. Like think of it as like a red or an amber ale that's been soured, and it, it does become quite sour. Um, sometimes they're aged in barrels and they're just that and think balsamic vinegar in a beer. So like that rich caramel sourness that you get from like a balsamic vinegar. Um, and that's actually what I thought the first time I had Duchess. Um, it just blew my mind. I didn't know beer could taste like that. Um, because I think it does catch, I think Flanders Red, particularly as a style, catches a lot of people off guard because of the word red. Yeah. Because when people have a red ale, their, ex, their expectation is of this warm, comforting, caramel, toffee, uh, kind of sweet, inoffensive beer. Yeah. And they drink it and then it's like they're getting that really sourness yeah. and that the kind of the acidity and all those you know, funky things going on. Um it's probably actually turned quite a few people away from yeah. <laughs> from that style um, because they're, you know, I think that there's a bit of a uh, sleight of hand there, a misguidance in terms of often the way it's marketed. Uh, so uh, where did you first have your first Flanders in Red? New Orleans. Um, the small brewery I was working at, Courtyard, the one that was three barrels. Um, we had our beers on tap, but we also, we had like 20 taps. So it was like 10 of ours, 10 of other beers. And we had it on tap at Courtyard and... I, I didn't, I, 
I really don't think I liked it that much, but I couldn't stop drinking it because I wanted to figure it out. Like it just it absolutely flabbergasted me. I was like, what is going on? What is going on in my mouth? It's like this up front. It was like this like toffee caramel, like deep rich, like a, like a, a reason, which is like a candy in the States. That's like a, almost a coffee chocolate toffee thing going on but then it was like so acidic and like puckering and back of the throat and I just I couldn't figure out and one of my friends was actually the one that said oh it tastes like balsamic vinegar and I was like that's what it is it tastes like balsamic vinegar like and I just couldn't stop drinking it because I I just wanted to understand everything about it like I knew nothing what is the determination for U.S. breweries to replicate European, old traditional European styles. Mm. I mean, one of the great advantages of of the U.S. it seems is that they don't have respect for some of those styles, <laughs> and will certainly, um, you know, uh, uh, that's probably the wrong way of phrasing it. Is like they have a respect for the styles and know they exist, but they yeah. want to create something new and don't want to just copy, uh, yeah. and want to you know create something that is unique or and and becomes a new thing is that fair to say do you think in your experience of you know both as a consumer of american beers but also uh, you know observing what's happening in the industry there yeah i think that's definitely fair it's this weird thing with american stuff um we're very we're just an extreme country i think especially being like i haven't been home in two years so now i'm starting to have this very strong opinion that like like man america's so extreme and everything like we have fried food festivals and like you know like we we will fry anything and our food is extreme our drinks are extreme our alcohol is like high alcohol um you know i i i don't know i don't know what it is i can't answer that i love it like you know the states really is a creative country i mean we have broadway and we have la and like if you just look at mainstream media like a lot of it great films of our time that's coming from the states and i think it all kind of ties in really like we're just um i mean it's a huge population so that definitely has a lot to do with it it's a very big country i think those big kind of headline things about america are useful to a point but it's actually quite misleading of this country that when you scrape under the surface you've got a huge amount of uh, like eccentricity and nuance mm-hmm. and uh, beauty and irony and silliness um, that we j- we just you know from the outside looking in you're just not exposed to yeah. and so we think America is one thing but I think possibly you know craft beer is is a uh, a kind of a um, a signal that there is lots more going on than what we're fed yeah. in the mainstream uh, kind of idea of what America is. Um, that there is all this nuance and excitement and kind of eccentricity there bubbling under the surface. But I suppose why I'm asking you the, the question is that you, obviously you have had the experience of where Australia's up to. Yeah. It seems that Australia, you know, from the outside looking in, there's a sense that Australia ha- has tried to replicate uh, European styles um, and, and has been maybe a little more insecure about um, finding its own way. Yeah. It seems that it's it's certainly you know find its feet you know more recently uh it, again is that kind of what you've observed and i'm probably talking about you you worked um at the top end in, in cairns as well and yeah. you know whether you can compare that what's happening you know in different parts of australia as well yeah well i think i mean the states is kind of the forerunner for craft beer for sure um, an Australian friend was just over there and he had never been to the States before. Um, and he, Luke, who works at Stomping Ground, um, he was like, you know what? American beers, the IPAs are really, really like punchy IPAs. And the stouts, like the pastry stouts are really, really sweet. Like things are on the extreme end of things. Whereas I find that in Australia right now, and I think this has a lot to do with, once again, the big breweries contracting taps out and, and, choice being limiting is that it's really important for craft beer makers in Australia to start gaining people's trust and you do that by doing things sessionably and what they know I mean that's what happened if you look at the states in like the 90s and early 2000s that's what that's what was going on so I think it's definitely 
that's kind of very similar like you're just trying to you're we're trying to make beers that are very approachable drinkable there's more of a ramp into the hard-hitting things i mean i suppose the temptation is to look at the u.s and think well if they're making eight percent ipas then why can't we do that here we're not there yet but yeah i suppose the reality is is that we you have to build up to that um and i suppose this is what this podcast is about is people's beer journey i mean how you build up uh to to those things um and and maybe how you return back to the more sensible end of of things (laughs) once you go yeah once you've gone on that journey and you kind of come back to you know the more moderate um end of things so choice five yeah choice five um so it's a molly rose beer uh and it is our coffee citrus sour at molly rose there's just nothing like it and that that i've had um like i've had a brewery so i worked for two breweries in the states i worked for courtyard and nola and nola was doing a coffee saison that was really interesting and beautiful and like a collaboration with a local roastery and that beer was crazy. Um, the coffee citrus sour, and we've done a few iterations of it with different coffees at Molly Rose, and that just continues to blow my mind. Um, and watching people drink it has been inspiring as well, because it's that whole journey in your mouth thing. Like, there's so many people drink it, and they think they're going to have one thing, and then they're just shocked to find another thing. And um, It is bonkers, that beer, yeah. because you drink it, you smell it, first off. And you expect one thing, yeah. and then it tricks you, and then it tricks you. It's like Calice. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, confusing and um, really enjoyable. Yeah. But it, the thing is, is it's so Moorish because, like you said about the beer before, you, you're trying to solve the, the puzzle. The problem, you're trying to you, figure it you out. you can't. Yeah. It's like nailing jelly to a wall. Yeah. It's like you can can't really put your finger on what's happening but you keep having that extra sip to work it out and yeah that's a, a great achievement that beer yeah it's i mean it's i really think it's um something special and something that i haven't seen in australia and i'm really fortunate that i've got to be with molly rose as he's opened up the tap room and then i got to work mo- um, blobfish for him as well and just having people try that beer um has been such a treat to watch people experience it that are like, oh, I'm not going to like that. And then they do. It's a great hangover beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, yeah, I think as well uh, the experience in somewhere like Molly Rose, like the way it's served, how you're talking about it, the glassware and so on, really does showcase mm. a beer like that and yeah. brings it to life. I mean, how's your experience been in terms of you know, how has that changed from maybe slinging um, pints in New Orleans to where you are up to at Molly Rose and the the, hot, the type of hospitality offering there? Because it's not necessarily a high volume venue, right? But it's a much more thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's been interesting. I think it's people don't quite know what to make of it. Um, you know, when they come to a brewery and then they're like, "Wait, what's going on?" You know, we don't do tasting paddles we do guided tastings which anyone who listens to this podcast already knows if you've listened to the interview with nick so i'm not going to go on about that um but i will say nick did a very succinct attack on tasting paddles which is excellent (laughs) yeah but no i like i like what he's doing and i um the glassware to me is uber like as a certified cicerone glassware to me is really really important and i think that he's doing it right with that um because it it, if you put a a beer in a glass like that no matter who's drinking it they're actually probably gonna smell it first because that's what we do with wine glasses right like everybody knows that before you drink wine even if you're drinking your ten dollar house wine you smell it um you don't see a lot of people do that with beer and you see people do that with beer when it's put in those glasses so it's like an unconscious cue Mm -hmm. yeah it's like hey you have a fancy glass take a sniff (laughs) like it's it's yeah it's that's it's like oh i'm holding a wine glass i'm gonna swirl it and smell it you absolutely should be doing that with your beer it's kind of that interesting paradox between you know being a a roller door kind of industrial 
brewery in Collingwood. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can bring your dog along. and So many dogs. Bring all the dogs. <laughs> if you live in Melbourne, please bring your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they, they buy around. And yeah. the so that's kind of, you know, half of the course kind of industrial brewery setup. Yeah. And then what you get across the bar is quite different. It's quite confusing in that respect because... Yeah. You can understand a consumer expecting one thing because there's other breweries in the locale, many of them, which they would get exactly what they expected. Yeah. But I suppose also educating a consumer is is a challenge in itself because a lot of people just want to go and buy a beer. They don't want to be talked to about it. Or they don't want to. Yeah. Have, and clearly in somewhere like Molly Rose, you, you want to talk to them about it because you need to lay the groundwork so that they understand what's about to happen. Yeah. How, how is the, have you found that challenging? That's been really challenging, actually. Um, and I, like, I've started to now look, like, if you come in and you want a guy to tasting and you don't want to enhance your experience at all, fine. <laughs> like, we'll just, I'll give you one beer by one beer. You gauge it customer to customer. Because um, some customers don't want to hear it. Uh, they're not. Like, they want no interaction, especially in our days with, like, things. They would rather just look it up on Untapped and see what other people say <laughs> instead of asking me questions, you know? Um, which I'm always like, please ask me a question. Like, give me a tough one. Let me answer it. Like, I'm dying for that. I, like, that's, for me personally, like, that's, the after bartending for so many years that's what I really get a kick out of is like someone wanting to have a conversation and ask any question if you think it's a stupid question don't care it's not a stupid question it's great it's better that you ask it than just like googling stuff or like never knowing you know I think that's the other thing though isn't it is that for a lot of consumers going into that um, space it is intimidating it can be kind of a bit you know and you don't want to feel nobody wants to feel an idiot you know nobody wants to ask that question which is like oh didn't you know that um and i think you know partly we're all a bit responsible for 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 that being the way it is and i think if you have any knowledge about um beer that you do have responsibility to make it an inclusive and accepting space if you want more good beer if you want the space to grow and if you want better venues etc because you know i certainly have friends who they you know as soon as i start to talk about it they're like oh Oh, you can see them die behind the eyes you know uh they don't listen to the podcast uh (laughs) yeah that is a real challenge i think going forward how how we actually um you know educate and demystify without being you know aggressive about it or without being kind of condescending and um it's always a difficult space when you because it's hospitality people are going for entertainment and enjoyment and relaxation yeah and you don't want to kind of just bombard them and it's finding a balance as well i mean you know you don't want to make things overly technical and i i i think that that's probably for me personally a strength that i pride myself on is being very very um casual about beer and even really great beer like i i really do try to be able to talk to everyone in layman's terms um you know i can have those technical conversations if you want to dive into that but for a lot of people that's not the space for it like they don't that they don't know that they're they're not going to know some of the things so i think it's just good to get the conversation started and then go from there and i it's been interesting seeing how that works at molly rose um it's been fun I don't know. We're doing a crispin beer pairing and probably this will air way after that already happens. But like that's one of the things like potato crisps because I love snacks and really amazing beers just to kind of break down barriers. Like we want to make the beers really approachable and make you start thinking about them on a day to day basis. Even if you're just eating a bag of cheese and bacon Cheetos. I don't know. That sounds amazing. Like I'm from the north of England, and even the fact that you call them crisps and not chips, as oh, the yeah, Aus- Australian to. population uh, don't call them. So, choice six. six. We're on six already. Yeah, choice six. So I'm doing another Australian beer. You said that like you were upset <laughs> about it. I am. Well, because there's so many places I wanted to go, um, but I think if we're talking about like life-changing beers, it has to be Stomping Grounds Watermelon Smash. 
And there weren't a lot of... New Zealand has an incredible craft beer scene, but there weren't a lot of gozes like that. And when I came over here, I already had a connection with Stomping Ground. So my boss from New Zealand um, knew Craig, who is like Gabs. Um, so Craig put me in touch with Roxy because Evan was like, Lindsay's coming over and she's going to be taking her certified Cicerone and rah, rah, rah. And then Roxy got me on at local tap house and I was doing events for stomping ground. But the first beer I had was at Arbery um, and it was a watermelon smash and I was drinking it and it was a hot day. It was like first week of March and I was just like, fuck, this is good. And it's so good to see so many people drinking this beer. That means that there's a hope for sours and gozas. And like, if this is selling in Melbourne, then I think I'm in the right place. It is absolutely a, not just like that range is like attractive can art and things like that, but really accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, Got that sour hints, saltiness. The watermelon smash particularly is like very like lively and sherbety. Really kind of lively in your mouth. And yeah, great beer. Yeah, just easy drinking. It's fun. It's a fun alternative as well. And a really nice beer, particularly on a summer's day, if you've been drinking kind of pale ales and or lagers or whatever, and then you have one of them. Yeah. It kind of resets everything. Yeah. It's like, it's a really fun um, kind of wedge beer as well. Absolutely. If it, it kind of, to just disturb things and interrupt things in, an, in yeah. a pleasant way. Yeah. And, you know, when I came over here, like that series had just been released. Like they were just starting to do the Smash series. Like that was... Yeah, I don't know. That was March of last year. Um, so it, it was just good just to see the popularity of it. Like, it just blew my mind. And then this year when they re-released it, I mean, when I got back from Cairns after I had been up there for four months, I came back to um, Melbourne and I had a Gip Street and then I had a Smash. I was so excited to have a watermelon Smash because there's not a lot of sour beers up in Cairns that hasn't really branched up there yet. So that was just like, ugh. It was December, it was summertime, and I was, like, crushing it. And it's a great hangover beer as well. <laughs> I can see a theme. Uh, <laughs> snack to go with the smash? Snack to go with watermelon smash. Just see, a slice of watermelon? No. <laughs> no. Nothing. Just that beer its stands own? on its own, man. Because, it, yeah, like, it, it's salty, <clears throat> you know? It is. Um... And we're recording this at the local tap house. Uh, what what, what relation is it? Like the mother of stomping ground? Yeah. Is it like the, it almost feels like a grandmother? It's, it now. is the grandma because it would yeah. be the grandma. It's the mother of Gabs, mm. and then because stomping ground was the third. Yeah. So the third um, venture. So you w- worked here previously, mm-hmm. and how was it? Um, kind of, you'd had experience of high volume you know, 30, 40 tap venues in New Orleans, and then you come here to a measly 19 <laughs> taps and one cider. Was uh, it Was it really disappointing? Nah, great. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a cozy, cozy pub. No, nah, I loved, I loved it here. It was, it was a good time. So, I, I don't know, it, it has a very warm, warm spot for me in my Australian heart. Look, there's probably places I've worked where I couldn't show my face again. So well done. <laughs> well done for uh, being able to come back. And we're actually recording. I think there's Ale Stars tonight. Yep. Future Mountain yes. are the uh, stars of the show so at exciting. that event. So um, doing amazing things with uh, sour beers and barrel aged and funky things in uh, uh, in Preston. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very much looking forward to it. So we better wrap it up, Lindsay. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you, you receptacle to drink these beers out of. One of those, and I don't even know what the glass is called. You know the big obnoxious wine glass that's like a giant bowl? Oh, yeah, like a like a, a yeah. brandy balloon kind of type yeah, of thing. Yeah, the wine one with a long stem and it's a very thin glass. Like they're very fragile. That. That's I want that giant bowl. I want to get all those aromas like... <laughs> going and trapping in and just coming out and like concentrated and yes and we've talked about where people can find you in person which uh should be a worry uh but uh, obviously at molly rose and uh now that you've opened the door to people asking you technical questions i know there'll be listeners to this podcast who will be on on the first uh in the first uber or the first flight to come and uh see you at um, molly rose um 
where can people find you online and, and things? Or would you like to like them to well, find yeah. you? Um. <laughs> you don't have to. I mean. No, yeah. Talk uh, talk beardy to me is my Instagram handle. So like talk dirty to me, but beer. Um, so it's that's talk T A L K B E E R D Y T O M E. I'll put the link in the show notes. I mean, no. um, cool. and um, you definitely I've seen you uh, certainly very passionate about beer but yeah. all of those i think you know the the result of the uh depth of the cicerone is that you know you end up caring a lot about the things around beer i saw your uh little uh, stream on um how to make a glass clean yeah not just clean <laughs> where, I, where i broke the glass at the beer end <laughs> clean and then you broke the glass which is uh <laughs> like a pro like it's well done for not editing it out uh and oh, uh, i think um you know those those other side things about you know whether it's keeping your lines clean yeah. uh, whether it's just your general um presentation how you serve beer how you pour it all of those nuances that can be very much lost seem to be central to you know your philosophy of beer and if you had a philosophy about beer what, what would that be Ooh. Ooh. like a philosophy like an approach to beer drinking what's your approach I think it's know the venue you drink at. Um, and I see this happen a lot, and I, it's a lack of education from our consumers. Um, I listened to a podcast once. It was with a master Cicerone, and he said we would return a fork if it was given to us dirty. We would return a plate if it was given to us like with food that wasn't the food we ordered on it or like crusty leftovers but we don't return dirty glasses we accept dirty glasses in our beer and a lot of that and especially for people listening to this podcast if you don't know what a clean glass is and if you don't know how to look for a dirty glass I highly recommend doing some research on there on that um, and also making sure the venues that you're going to and you're spending your money in for these really expensive beers like if they're not making sure those beautiful expensive beers are put in a clean glass then what's the state of their lines (laughs) you know like what's going on there um yeah that's it it's not just about making amazing beer it's also about the service of it and the presentation and and making sure that the customer is getting the best possible product and that comes from venues so know your venue well that seems like a great note note to end it on Lindsay and thanks so much for talking us through the six beers that changed everything I feel like yeah and snacks the snacks that changed everything I feel like um I'm not gonna get the image of the the cheese in a pump that's that's oh oh, I wish I could I'll message you some uh please don't message you some videos of pump cheese oh so good um and um <laughs> it really is. It's really it's all I can see is that I don't even know what it looks like. Um, I feel like we could have talked for much longer, particularly about the the beers that uh, didn't quite make the list. Yeah. And uh, is there any notable mentions, or are you going to keep that for to yourself? No, I'm gonna. I didn't want to use all Boulevard beers, but Boulevard, like, I was one of those people that was loyal to a brewery, and Boulevard was that brewery for me. Luckily, they make some amazing beers. Tank 7, Farmhouse Ale, freaking amazing. You can get it all over the States now. Um, but I started drinking that at 21, which, crazy. I think I only drank it because it was, like, 7%, and I was like, yeah, give me that. But building that palate, you know. Um, and then also Bourbon Barrel Quad. Um, is one of their beers, which is a Belgian quad aged in bourbon barrels um, with cherries, and it is so good. Um, and then Stone and Wood Pacific Pale Ale, because Galaxy Hops, and coming from the States, Galaxy Hops was just, like, one of my favorite things. Um, but, oh, Odell's 90 Shillings, which is, like, an American amber boarding on a Scotch Ale. Fat tire. So many. Fat tire you can get on Southwest flights, which is great. Like, yeah, when are we gonna get? Like, <laughs> I think there's one or two airlines who do do good beers, but uh, I don't. Yeah, s- we've got to we've got to wait a yeah, bit. Yeah, we need to work on that. Even Australia, the sports, sports stadiums on. as well. I know. 
We need, yeah, the fact that you can get good beer on airlines in the States. Like, I'm going to the States in four weeks, and I can't wait to get on my Southwest flight from L.A. to Houston and just crush a fat tire. I'm just going to be like, (laughs) nacho pump cheese, (laughs) fat tire. It's going to be so good. Mm. I presume that whoever makes pump cheese wouldn't call a company fat tire because of the... (laughs) the health implication there but um what a good note to end on <laughs> and um and i'm sure people will see you around, around Lindsay mm. um at molly rose and other beer events as well so thanks so much thank you it's been a pleasure yeah so that was it Lindsay grieg certified cicerone working at molly rose such a mine of information and experience and so great that we can have people with that skill and knowledge to make Australian beer better so thanks so much Lindsay for spending the time that was heaps of fun we recorded that on the rooftop of the St Kilda local tap house and it was fun to have some of those background noises of sirens and the clattering of the tram which is very Melbourne isn't it so Hopefully that came through in the recording. And as I said at the top of the episode, at the time this episode is released, we'll only have a couple of weeks to go before the first ever live episode, which a few more tickets have been released. They will go very quickly, so get onto it. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So you can send me some questions for James Smith at the Crafty Pines here I'm interviewing. If you can't make it to the event, send me some questions that you'd like me to ask him on the night as well please leave a review uh, of the chosen brew beer podcast maybe that could be a birthday present for next month i mean it's pretty sweet it doesn't cost anything so obviously leave five don't leave a bad review that wouldn't be a birthday present uh five star minimum review and i'm really looking forward to meeting you if you're coming to the event but get in touch however you like um if you can't make it as well facebook twitter instagram or the chosen brew au at gmail.com or through the website the chosen brew au.com apologies that this episode was a little bit later than normal uh, i hope you enjoyed the last episode which was of my other podcast the wheel of sports which i make with my good friend matt lavery matt lavery with the classic story of cliff young australian icon if you want to listen to more of the Wheel of Sport, the link is in the show notes. We've just got a treasure trove of amazing stories. Sport is the framework, but the stories are amazing regardless of the sport. So we'll keep bringing those to you at released every fortnight. Thanks again for listening. And in the meantime, keep enjoying and savouring good beer. Speak soon.